0: Hey, PowerPack fans, this is Rick. I just wanted to jump in before the beginning of this episode to let you know that we are still working out all of our sound issues. So the recording doesn't come across as well as I'd like this time, and we do realize that it is something we want to work on. But hang in there. We are still learning, and we are going to make this better as we go along. Thanks for your support. Alex Rogan is a small-town teenager with big-time dreams. Dreams of college, of success, of marrying his girlfriend Maggie. He's just like everyone else, except Alex has a very special talent that no one on Earth can appreciate. But tonight, a mysterious stranger has called on Alex. He's come from a galaxy that's under attack by an alien force, and Alex's unique ability is their last hope.
1: The last starfighter, he's got one extraordinary chance at the dream of a lifetime. Coming this summer to select theaters.
0: Welcome dear listener to our podcast Jeff and Rick present unpacking the power of power pack where we journey through each issue of the
1: most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer
0: analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventurers, and absorbing alcohol I am Jeff and I am Rick. Now that we have gone through the jitters of our first episode it's time to adjust and improve our format a little bit. One piece of feedback we received from friends and family was a concern that we were being a little harsh and critical of the series that we supposedly really like. I I think it's fair to say that we both like the comic book and the characters as a whole. The creative team did an amazing job taking the concept of four children, getting powers, and dealing with being superheroes while being children very well. The artwork is solid and beautiful. The children are portrayed in a realistic way between their interactions with adults and other kids and their speech patterns. And the stories themselves are fun and enduring. There's a lot to love about this book. At the same time, we want to
1: really look at what this book is offering. This means that we will try to pull at some of the threads this well-woven tapestry provides us. If this means we question some of the science, then we will. If there's an allusion to some piece of literature, we will look it up and tie it into the overall story if we can. If there's something silly or goofy that catches our eye, we'll probably make fun of it.
0: But in the end, we want to share this work with others and encourage them to seek out the actual comics and read them. This is an amazing run of stories, and we have fond memories of them. We hope you will enjoy our own personal journey through this podcast. Is there anything else you think we need to say, Jeff?
1: No. Basically, we, we're we doing this podcast about a comic series that we remembered from our youth that we absolutely loved. And we are, you know, looking at it with adult eyes now. So things are going to kind of hit us a little bit differently. And, you know, as in everything in life, there's some stuff that you can love, but you can also make fun of it. So. Yeah.
0: Being critical at the same time, poking fun out of it, kind of seeing what makes us laugh and what we enjoy about it, at the same time, I don't think any of my love or appreciation of this comic book is going to get diminished.
1: Oh, no. And if anything, it's probably going to grow because you get to kind of see, you're, you're able to pull the veil back a little bit and kind of see what, re- remember what you loved about it, but also see what you love about it now. Yeah. And uh, if we make fun of something, it's it's done in love.
0: But enough of this malarkey. <laughs> Stole that. Um, Jeff, can you please give us a two-sentence replay of the last episode?
1: Good and bad aliens exist, and no one cares except for the families of the people that get abducted by them. One of the good aliens, named Whitey, gives the Power Kids his superpowers before he dies so that they can save the Earth from the bad aliens and the super science device that their dad made that is going to blow up the planet!
0: Kaboom! Excellent.
1: Now that the recap is done, why don't you give me a beer... And tell us what our Power Pack
0: pick is. My pleasure, my friend. (laughs) Now, the name of this issue, it's called Butterfingers. And so I would like to present to you, my friend... Buttermilk...
1: Stout. Uh, wait, a, wait a minute. Hold on. Elgin Beaver Brewery. Peanut Butter Milk Stout. a Stout with natural flavor. Peanut Butter Milk Stout. America's favorite peanut butter milk stout. This silky smooth beer put us on the map. Troy came up with the idea of combining peanut butter with our beaver's milk stout, and he nailed it. Don't let the dark color fool you. This beer is... Delightfully easy to drink with cascading aromas of roasted peanuts, dark chocolate, and coffee. We appreciate your continued support for helping make this style our number one seller. Good times to you, my friend, and welcome to the Beaver family. Cheers, Tom.
0: (laughs) Well, that was not my... Not what I thought was going to happen, but I appreciate it. Uh, the only thing that you did not say as you were reading off the wonderful mm-hmm. label there is that this is a 7.1 ABV and 70 IBUs. Now that's got a good that's got a good nose. That is very peanut mm-hmm. buttery. Mm. I
1: also love uh, Beaver Brewing because it ties into Episode <laughs> One. And, uh... You are reading off of my notes and stealing my
0: thunder, but that's
1: okay. You know, like in school, the easiest way to do anything is just steal off somebody else's (laughs) notes.
0: You don't even have my notes. That's the worst part. Yes, I am doing this as a throwback to what we talked about at issue one with the poem, The Hunting of the Snark, because we talked about the poem and how it had an anamorphic beaver as a main character. We salute you, beaver, with this beer. And also because of Butterfingers. Now, I am going to tell you, my friend... (laughs) I am a big fan of peanut butter stouts. Now, while this may not be my favorite one that I have ever tried, this is still an acceptable one.
1: Okay, I think I've had one peanut butter stout with you once, and my recollection of it is that I've had a peanut butter stout with you once before. I think
0: it might have been a nut crusher. (laughs) <laughs> but enough about our lives,
1: no. Uh, no,
0: no that, that that's my that's my standby. I, yeah. I I think that this is a little bit better than the nut crusher. Okay, that's I, one. I, that's the one with an elephant on the cover. That is the one yeah, with the elephant okay. on the cover. But if you, dear listeners, have the opportunity to hunt down some really tasty peanut butter stouts. There's two I can mention. One's very, very hard to find. It's at Great Notion Brewery, it's called Peanut Brother. And this is a randomly brewed small batch that's rarely available outside their North Portland Brewery. But the other one is an East Coast beer. It's called Sweet Baby Jesus, which is from Ducla Brewery, the most aptly named bottle of PB goodness that I was lucky enough to experience the last time I was in maryland it is fabulous and i still have dreams about it but that's my that's i know that a lot of people think peanut butter beer no this is some good good stuff if you like dark rich kind of sweet beers so cheers cheers yeah okay i'm drinking this now that we have our beverage of choice jeff you can please give us the opening credits
1: power pack issue two september 1984 butterfingers credits Written by Louise Simonson. Penciled by June Brigman. Inked by Bob Wycheck. Lettered by Joe Rosen. Colored by Glynis Ween. Edited by Carl Potts. Editor-in-Chief, Jim Shooter.
0: We start this issue with a splash page, and what a perfect sketch of all the characters. First and foremost is Katie, who is crackling with yellow energy, shooting off fireballs, stomping her feet, sucking her thumb, and screaming. <coughs>
2: Mommy I want to go home!
1: From just looking at this page and not reading any of the words, we can deduce certain aspects about the kids. Katie is throwing a temper tantrum. Julie is leaning in, giving Katie a worried, soothing look. Alex is standing behind Katie, mouth open, looking amazed and lost. And Jack has us back to the mall, arms crossed, looking over his shoulder annoyed.
0: And to complete the picture, the Spaceship Friday is in the background. The words on the page really are nothing more than a recap of the prior episode, which Jeff was happy enough to provide to us. But Julie and Alex both explain all the reasons why they cannot go home. Jack... Just calls Katie a brat and advises everyone to ignore her. Now, to be fair, the kids have been up all night and have been through a lot. It is not surprising that Katie is flipping out.
1: Julie argues that they cannot ignore Katie. She is way too dangerous. And while most children will fall to the ground and start kicking and screaming, Katie is launching the equivalent of sticks of TNT in random directions. (laughs) One of them actually hits Friday.
0: Shwap. As the grass around them catches fire, Alex kicks on his powers, declaring that he will use his G powers. Ah, damn it. (laughs) Ha ha. Take a drink, buddy to float them away. Mr. Bright Boy, Alex, and a screaming Katie are now floating uncontrollably in the air. Julie recognizes the predicament that Alex is in, and she screams off after them, leaving Jack to smother the fire. This is
1: a great shot of Jack standing barefoot in the fire, wondering how he will do that.
0: All of these pages show these kids just failing to understand or failing in using their powers, which is good. They're like Ralph Hinckley trying to operate some awesome powers without a manual. Even Julie is struggling to find Alex after he drifts into a cloud. If she was far more comfortable with her powers, she would have caught Alex before he flew too far.
1: Jack, on the other hand, is stuck with the fire problem. He too starts to question what he can do. He at least goes cloudy so he does not get burned. Then he starts the problem solve. He wonders what would happen if, as a gas, he settled on the fire while getting denser. Unfortunately, his lack of Control means that he turns into a solid human again and starts to fall into the fire. He panics, quickly goes into cloud form again, and...
0: (laughs) The fire is out, and a naked Jack is standing in a burnt-out patch of grass.
1: Julie finally catches up and saves the ascending adolescence and finds a grateful Alex and a repentant Katie.
0: Jack, who was pretty successful in an accidental sort of way, is getting redressed and explains what he did. Smart Alex tries to science-explain what happened, admitting that Jack was smart. Jack! Never one to let a turn of phrase go to waste, so turns to Katie and says, Yeah,
1: not like that dumb stunt Katie pulled. Just look at what your fireballs did to our smart ship.
0: Again, again, with that voice.
1: forever with that voice. Oh Jack is forever the old curmudgeon.
0: Well, it's, it's a choice.
1: It's a choice. <laughs> it's his life choice. I'm just. No,
0: it's your life choice, my friend. It's your <laughs> life choice. But that is okay. Because Friday whips out his arms and starts to clean and repair itself. Still, the ship is never going to be able to do squat if it keeps taking damage. It needs like an inn or a tent to regain some serious HP. Smart ship needs food
1: badly. Katie is sorry, and Friday does a horrible job trying to console her, basically telling her that she nearly lobotomized him. At the very least, Friday is grounded for a day, which is a problem because the kids need to get to the lab. Remember, the snarks are trying to find the lab to take the device Dr. Power invented.
0: Jack points out that they are sunk because Katie blew it. Alex has a plan to get them to the lab without Friday, but Katie points out that Jack can't use his powers without losing his clothes. She slams Jack by hypothesizing that Whitey made his powers do that because Jack is so mean.
1: Burn! Anyway, Friday has a solution. You see, instead of focusing on repairing, he whipped together a sewing machine and made some sweet duds for the kids. These special suits have a mess of cool Dussex Machina powers that we will find out about as the series progresses. But the most important thing to know now is that they are made of unstable molecules. This is a Marvel Comics hand-wavy thing that allows superheroes to use powers that would make wearing normal clothes impractical. Good call. What we also find out in this issue, though, is that these suits have pockets.
0: Some people find out that they have pockets. Others, it takes them years to figure out that these suits have pockets.
1: Julie, I think, is the only one that ever figures out she has pockets that I've seen so far. Julie
0: is the most practical. I'm not going to say the smartest, but the most practical of all of them. These costumes are pretty dope. I like them because they're simple and clean. They have a uniformity with individuality. The design is the same, but each kid has their own color and special symbol on the chest that corresponds with their power. Those suits are a one-piece body stocking with a black right sleeve and a black stripe down the right side. The boots are very similar to the old 80s moon boots or snow boots, except in silver. I think these things are pretty hot. I, I always like these suits.
1: I like the costumes. I'm not a huge fan of the boots, but they are very reminiscent of what Whitey was wearing. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's talk a little bit more about these suits. Let's go through them one by one. Alex's costume is white, with a symbol that looks like two boxes hovering above the ground.
1: Julie's costume is rose or pink, with the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon symbol. Seriously, look at that.
0: Right, good call, good call. Jax is blue, and it has a symbol of a fart.
1: No, dude, that is a cloud. But, okay, looking at it, it could go either way.
0: I'm just saying and Katie's is yellow with an energy ball.
1: Jack, of course, is criticizing the silver booties and calling it sissy. Kind of like you were. Uh, I didn't call it sissy. I just said that I wasn't fond of the boots. The boots' aesthetic doesn't tie into the costume as well as I would like. But uh, in uh, I just different... went.
0: I just went to point out the simple fact that you were agreeing with Jack.
1: Uh, Jack makes some valid points. <laughs> hey, curmudgeonly <laughs> fellows have a lot of life experience. Maybe you should listen to him a little bit. Maybe those kids should get off Jack's lawn.
0: Jack just burnt his lawn.
1: And then he unburnt it by being naked? No.
0: Okay. (laughs) Speaking of naked, the kids, now clothed, realize that they are hungry. Again, they have been up all night. Adrenaline, aliens, abduction, angst, alliteration. They have not had a chance to eat. But don't worry, Friday has them covered. He offers them some of Whitey's favorite food, blue sawdust heaped on a plank.
1: Whitey won't mind if the kids eat it, because he's dead. Dude, too soon. This comic came out in the 80s. Two, soon. Alec thanks Friday by lobbing out a G. Take a drink.
2: <sighs> clinky clink.
1: gluggy Gluggy-glug. <sighs> Mm-mm-mm. And with empty stomachs, a map to the lab, and the blueprints in hand, they take off in what would be their common form of travel.
0: Normally, the kids will travel this way all the time in future comics. Alec's gonna make himself and Katie light with his powers and be propelled along by Julie with Jack flying along as a cloud and kind of their cover. And... As they take off, Katie falls asleep, which is awesome and a little bit adorable.
1: Yeah, it is pretty cute. One of the things uh, that I wanted to point out while they were flying is that they pass over Bob's Big Boy. That is an icon from the 80s.
0: <laughs> a sad we- icon that we will miss now.
1: I've never had a Bob Bigs. Big Bob. Burger Boy? Bob Burger Big Boy. Bob Bob. Bob.
0: You know, I'm going to keep that in. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm aware of that. Okay, that's well and good, but meanwhile, the Snark ship is still spinning like a cat in the drying machine thanks to Katie's destructive path through their ship. The Snark commander is about to go mad because of the turning and chooses to cool off by recapping the same exact story of the chameleon attempt at the annihilation formula from the prior issue. Apparently, they know all about the awesome power of this mathematical equation of doom and they are determined to pry it from Dr. Power's primitive mind.
1: Hey, grasshopper boy, maybe you should be a little impressed that this primitive brain and his awesome beard figured out something that has humped your little mind.
0: I love their exclamation after the gyroscope has been repaired. Thank you!
1: Back to our fledgling, famished, flying foursome, the kids seem to have made it to the lab. Katie has been sleeping the whole time, which probably makes her the smartest kid.
0: Actually, she's the only one that had nothing to do, so, you know, why not sleep? Yeah, good point.
1: Kids land on a random roof and set off an alarm.
0: Auga! Jack tosses the ball to Alex, challenging him to come up with a plan. And surprisingly, he does come up with a good idea. He directs Jack to fog up the roof and the girls hide behind a shed. He climbs up above the door to the roof and waits for the guards. When the guards come out into the fog, Alex jumps down, increasing his gravity, and flattens the guards with his mighty battle cry of, OOF! The kids run into the door and lock it, but not before grabbing a walkie-talkie. SLAM!
1: Jack riffs on Han Solo and tries to bluff the guard on the other end of the radio. It goes about as well for Jack as it did for Han. Katie has apparently seen Star Wars already at five years old and disintegrates the radio.
0: Okay, wait. Katie saw Star Wars at five? Mm-hmm. I feel that is way too young. You know, I, my daughter has no interest in it at all. She thinks it's too violent. She's never even seen it yet.
1: And why does Katie disintegrate the walkie-talkie just because Jack said to? They could have used that. What, she hasn't seen Die Hard yet? Well, I guess that is about four years in the future, and rated R.
0: I don't think it would stop her. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that Alex and uh, Jack would be watching it, and Katie, I want to watch it, too, and she's scarred for life.
1: Yeah, probably. She would, yeah, it would probably be one of those things where like, no, Katie, you can't watch Die Hard with it.
0: I want to watch Die
1: Hard. Okay, fine, Katie, just sit quietly. And then she does, and she's like,
0: I love Christmas,
1: and then somebody gets shot in the face, and then she's all, Aah!
0: Best Christmas movie Ever. Oh,
1: yeah. It honestly is. You know what another really good Christmas movie is? What's that? Lethal Weapon.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've heard people complain and say, no, Die Hard's not a Christmas it movie. It totally is a, it Christmas, is a movie. Christmas movie.
1: It has Christmas music in it.
0: It has Christmas gifts in it. It has Christmas tinsel. It has Christmas themes like love and friendship and family and death. And uh,
1: robbery and... Barabons. And Barabons and Germans and... Uh, and
0: the best of all, it's got Professor Snape in it.
1: Well... I was gonna say what (laughs) but uh, it's like yeah yes it does yes it does i I wasn't gonna (laughs) okay link die hard and uh harry potter in one in one step go um, Snape. Snape. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That would be great if he was actually just Snape in that. And Hans Gruber was all just like, I need your attention. That's a terrible guy. No, that, that was that's almost Captain, Captain Clay. No, no. Well,
0: I, I'm reading Harry Potter to my daughter, and, and uh, every time I do Snape's voice, I just think of Alan Rickman just pissed off. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's, that's why I try to do Snape. And... I like, I'm talking to the director. What's my motivation here? You're pissed off, Alan. <laughs> all right. Harry. And there's a lot of shaking, too. And just holding, I was going to say, and holding that P in
0: uh, until it just pops. It's
2: Potter. Potter.
0: Ah, yes. (laughs) The kids are now sneaking through the building, but they hear more guards coming up the stairs. They attempt to hide in a room, but the door is locked. Jack springs into action, misting under the door and opening it for his surprised siblings. (laughs) They fall down and go boom.
1: Yes, they do. Uh, (laughs) There's a great panel showing the flailing arms of the two older kids and just the pigtails and feet of Katie.
0: This is, like, right out of Clue.
1: Jack tells them to be quiet, and they hide in their room, listening to the guards gripe about Carmody. They all know that Dr. Power invented the converter, and that Carmody wants the glory, and he wants to weaponize it. The kids knew their parents hated Carmody, but they did not think he was evil, which he super is.
0: Interesting note here that Carmody is being painted in such a bad light, and it's not that he doesn't deserve it, or he won't deserve it. But this is a businessman that's just trying to make some money. And yes, he is stealing some IP off of something that one of his employees has made, and that the employee made it for a peaceful reason, now he's trying to weaponize it, and yeah, yeah. You know what? That's pretty much the worst. Never mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The kids resort to some awesome kid logic by saying they should check the cabinet drawers for a map, because that's where I keep maps of my office in my office. But they don't have time. Katie hears the guards approaching the door, and they make like a tree and get the hell out of there, just before the door is kicked in.
0: Bam! That really is the best way to enter any room, any time, every time. I agree. The kids escape and see a light on a nearby office building, and Julie makes a remark about how she would trade her whole Barbie collection for a ham sandwich. Mm. Now, I would want to try to steak dinner myself, but still... Ham sandwich is a good choice.
1: To be fair, we know this is the late night, early morning of the initial snark attack. Snark attack.
0: Snark Snark attack. Time Time for a mother-flippin' snark attack. attack.
1: Da-da-da! Anyway, these kids have not (laughs) (laughs) eaten... Anyway, these kids have not eaten like half a day. Which has got to suck. It does not help that the window they look in shows them the fat slob Carmody jawing on the phone eating a candy bar. The kids hear the big bad boss badmouth their dad by calling him a hippie. This and only this, causes the kids to promote Carmody from jerk to villain. This comes with the bonus of Julie saying it would not be morally wrong if they stole his food.
0: That is some excellent kid logic. Jack wisps through a crack in the window, turns solid, grabs a plate of food and a full glass, turns to mist, and... (laughs) Yeah, that was inevitable. I would chastise him, except he's like nine and has had his powers for less than a day, and he's starving.
1: Alex directs Julie to take them high in the air to have a look around. They heard Carmody tell his soldiers to surround the building with the converter in it. Sure enough, they're able to easily spot the soldiers surrounding a specific structure. And so they secretly swoop in for a speedy surprise. Sometimes I really like alliterating.
0: (laughs) And you do it well, my friend. As Katie starts to disintegrate the window, we are shifted to the snark ship. The green-skinned jerks are turning up the machine from the Princess Bride to Eleven in order to suck out the information from the powers. And it begins to work. The giant hoovers that have been attached to the parents' noggins seem to be having an effect. And they are spilling the beans. Now, back to the yellow pages. Seriously, in this comic, you turn the page from the last scene and you see two-page comic book sale advertisement for Mile Eye Comics all in yellow.
1: Hey, these are some really good prices. I could round out my Team America collection for 50 cents each. Oh, and I could get X-Men Classic Number 1 for two bucks. Hand me my phone. Dude, this is from 1984. Then hand me my 1984 phone.
0: Your old yellow rotary phone that's long since been thrown away? Sure. We could also try driving down the fruit at 80 miles per hour and see where that gets us. Fine. And the next page, we're back in the comic as the kids step into a room that is also all yellow, which was the point that I was trying to make before we went back in time. It
1: doesn't help that the kids are in turn bathed in this light, which washes out the color of their faces and clothes. It's kind of weird. It's also weird that this blinding light is apparently being generated from a point in the floor in the center of the room.
0: We, and they, are also treated to a view of this converter. This thing is ginormous! Too ginormous for Katie to disintegrate all of. The kids have no idea what they're going to be able to do to disable it. Not even Alex. Which he admits after Jack baits him by saying,
1: "Sure, old smart Alex, read the blueprints. They start to argue, dismissing the idea of telling Carmody what's going on because he is a crazy villain who wouldn't listen to a bunch of children. The kids are disheartened, defeated, and dejected. But Julie peps them all up, saying that they were given these powers and they have to save the
0: world. So they decide to try and see if Alex can lift the thing. And as they sneak over, Katie breaks a beam of light because she breaks everything, tripping an alarm. Zzz. Now, I'm going to warn you, there's a sound effect coming. This is a loud one. You guys ready? All right, here it comes.
2: Ringa ringa.
0: Sorry about that. Alex tries to budge the machine with his power, but fails. Julie notices the bolts and asks Katie to disintegrate them.
1: In order to buy their siblings some time, Jack and Julie brace themselves against the door to keep out the guards, only to transition into a pretty funny pratfall as the (laughs) doors do a Star Trek side slide open, and they fall on their butts. Swish!
2: Swoop! Womp!
0: Bump! This reveals Carmody and a couple of goons. I love goons. Carmody just has two words. KILL THEM!
1: Yes, because Carmody sounds like Skeletor.
0: I'll get those power children and He-Man too. No, that doesn't work because you know he's like all jowls, and Skeletor is distinctly lacking the jowls. <laughs> okay, there's
1: uh, <laughs> there's some stuff on Skeletor that's great. It's if you watch the the ra cartoon, yes. Skeletor's in that, and it's like Skeletor, uh, Skeletor is just the bomb, man. Oh, yeah. He's got a great thing. It's that we started me and some friends started quoting, which is you know, Skeletor is just something's going on, and Skeletor's all
0: what well what <laughs> well he's also like uh um the horde's henchman yeah,
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: he's yeah he's so he's
1: this he's a big and, high level ranking baddie and he man, Skele- S- he's just a joke
0: skeletor is better than the horde why are we talking about he-man Of uh, jowls
1: jowls yes uh, also because he has the power but Skeletor, yeah. you doesn't. know
0: what to be fair that's my fault for putting that in the music yeah okay Okay, so let's try this then. Kill them!
1: Oh, very jowly.
0: Thank you. I was thinking of Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I am ready to go on the record and say that this guy is evil.
1: One of the guards points out that they're kids, but that does not quell the old jowl-faced jerk. Chaos ensues as Jack clouds up and Julie flies around grabbing guns and slamming into the guards with her hands over her eyes.
0: Bump!
2: Some.
0: I love that. Katie is just about done with taking out the bolts, but she has reached her capacity for holding energy. Alex tells her to shoot off some powerballs and to destroy a big section of the wall, but as she is about to, Carmody grabs her. Surprised, Katie lets loose a giant powerball.
1: Boom! This puts a huge hole in the lab and pisses off Carmody, who calls Katie a monster. Now, this is important because it comes back later. For now, Katie says.
2: You're the monster, you villain! Julie flies by and
0: snatches Katie from Carmody. As they fly away and talk about how Katie is using her powers, they keep calling each other by their real names. Come on, kids. You spent all those precious seconds last episode coming up with aliases for exactly this reason.
1: Katie removes the last bolt and Alex lifts up the converter. With Jack Fogg still obscuring their vision, Carmody and his henchmen don't realize until it is too late that the converter is being floated away. By the time they do, Carmody orders them to fire. The kids are out of range. Carmody wants them to call the Air Force, but then, after thinking about what has happened, he comes to two deductions. One right The other wrong.
0: The first is that he recognizes the names the kids used, and believes that they are the Power Kids.
1: First mission and their secret identities are
0: blown. The second is that they are mutants. He decides that he is going to call someone named Henry Gyrich in Washington. We will talk more about him in a future episode. He also discovers that the candy bars he had in his pocket are missing.
1: Meanwhile, the Snarks have learned that the converter will be tested today
0: at a nearby lab, and they set course. Back with the kids, they still haven't found a place to put this converter. Hey, these other three kids are sitting on this thing while Alex is holding it up and floating it along. What a bunch of freeloaders?
1: Well, it doesn't last, because a gust of wind tips the machine. Julie and Jack start flying. Katie starts falling, but is saved by Julie. The converter, well...
0: Crash! And that solves that problem. Luckily, it was a forested area, so it was just some defenseless forest animals that died, some old-growth trees that got knocked over, and maybe a couple of old geocaches, now archived, that are smashed forever...
1: DNF. Area was covered by giant scientific equipment that threatened to destroy the world. (laughs) Maintenance required.
0: As the kids ponder what they have just done, Jack comments that if anybody asks, they should just blame Katie, since she breaks things all the time. Yeah, that's actually great logic, because
1: Katie literally breaks everything.
0: Yeah, she broke an alarm earlier. (laughs)
1: She broke Friday, too.
0: She breaks Friday a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. kind
1: of... Uh, everybody's got a shtick. Katie's mm-hmm. uses to break Friday.
0: Mm-hmm. But Julie has a surprise for them. She produces a handful of candy bars that are... Um, <coughs> sort of fell out of Carmody's pocket.
1: <clears throat> the final scene is when the Snarks show up sometime later to the remains of the Converter. This really twerks the Snarks' underwear, and they vow to capture and weaponize these kids for their queen mother.
0: <laughs> Next issue. Kidnapped. So let's talk a little bit here, Jeff. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about some themes of this issue. Let's talk about the use of aliases because I think that the kids have failed at this.
1: They decided they needed aliases, Mm -hmm. but okay. They were given like, okay. Given superpowers. Yeah. Okay. So check. Yeah. I got superpowers. Uh, Given a superhero kind of costume. Yeah. Okay, check. Okay, I got a costume. I got superpowers. And in their world, it is very much kind of like, you know what? Instead of being Alex Power, I should really give myself a kick-ass name that denotes what I do. It's a dumb
0: name. But, anyways, I see what you mean. Yeah. So you mean. yeah, it's just so we are all kind of you know it's it's it's
1: it's thematic to the world. Sure.
0: And they don't use it.
1: No, they don't use it. They, well, they try. They try. Yeah, was, they came up with it, but still, like you were saying, you know, they were up late. They haven't eaten. They're hungry. Also, the only food they've eaten is like candy bars.
0: Well, that was after the fact, too.
1: Oh, and after the fact. I, yeah. I guess
0: it is. It's a new thing. They don't have how to use them yet. They, they're still getting used to everything here. Beyond that, beyond that, there's something else that really stuck out. They don't have masks. The costumes don't come with masks. Why not? Okay, here's my thought on this. Okay, sure. yeah. Not
1: all superheroes have masks, for one thing. But okay, just say you're a superhero, you have masks. Mm-hmm. Everybody's seen seen heroes. Oh, it's the Masked Avenger sure, whatever. Sure. Uh, my reason for thinking that they don't have masks is because these technically aren't superhero costumes. What they are is... Uh, okay, this is making some assumptions... About the uh, Cumerian ah. uh, society, and that what your kind of station is or what powers are you have denotes kind of your color costume or what okay. the symbol is. Because if you look at uh, Whitey's costume before, you know, it was a white costume, okay, that's fine. But the symbol on that, I think it was a circle, and it kind of had like some like energy burst, but it kind of had like a combination of powers okay. looked on there. So I think it's kind of their way of like denoting sort of like, okay, these are the powers you have. And so Whitey, uh, not yet, yeah, Whitey's Smart Shit Friday. Okay. Uh, then when just made these costumes up for the kids, I was like, yeah, I'm not making you a superhero costume. I'm making you an outfit which denotes your power rank and classification Fair in enough. the chameleon homework.
0: It's just a space suit that the, the kids would be using. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to buy this completely. This does make sense. But then I'm going to go ahead and throw it back on the kids. I'm going to take it off of Friday. I'm going to throw it back on the kids. Why didn't the kids ask for some? I mean... Friday just made these costumes for him. They know they're going to go someplace where there's going to be other humans. They know they're going to be trying to hide their identity. They should have thought of this.
1: Okay. I can see Jack just being happy that he has pants now.
0: It's one of the big holes in this. And it's something I know And they kind of touch on at one point in time. But these kids never get masks to cover their faces. And it just seems like they're just asking for their secret to get out. It's mm-hmm. just always one thing that always bothered me. Here, let's do another theme, though. Okay. Unless you had anything
1: else to say on that. No, I was just thinking. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like, okay, um... What's your mask? Well, my mask is my face, which lets you see what I look like. <laughs> okay, who are your teammates? Well, my teammates are my family members that I always hang out with. They, okay, they have faces
0: like mine. Yeah, that
1: have faces like mine. Okay, what's your team's name then? Well, my secret identity uh, is you know Powers. You know my last name is Power, and so a group of us are going to be a Power Pack because no one would ever be able to determine that you know Soup our Man is Superman or that the
0: Power Pack is what the Power Pack is the Power Children. I want to move. Something else that I found to be a very strong theme running through this entire issue, and that's the moral issues of right and wrong for children. Let's talk about the theft of the food. Mm-hmm. So, the, first of all, they discuss it. you know, They discussed that they're hungry all the, the entire issue. Yeah. They first discuss it when they're flying, and they pass over the Bob's Big Boy restaurant. Jack says that he's all for stealing food. Julie's against it. Later on, as they see Carmody eating, they make it their own kind of moral theory in their head that since well. This guy is evil because of what he's saying. I think it's okay that we steal food from him because he's a bad guy. Julie points out that since he's a villain, you know, it's not really wrong. So, you know, she kind of goes back and forth. And then she ends up being the one to steal it at the end. Yeah, It's kind of this slow digression for Julie. It's like she's the one who's getting corrupted further and further and further as we go through. I just found it very fascinating that, you know, they, they have these moral issues about, well, we're trying to be good. We're trying to be the good superheroes and when is it okay for us to steal some?
1: Yeah, that moral compass uh, slips over pretty quick for Julie too. Well, it, last, it, it lasted for a little bit, maybe an hour.
0: I, I, I won't say, I, I think it, for Jack, it's just like,
1: Ella steal. Yeah, we can take food because, right. yeah, he's very Rocket Raccoon in which, but I want it.
0: Yeah. I think really if if Katie had a choice, Katie would just, we have food? Okay, I want to eat, it. We have food. Um, I think that Alex would kind of just, he would go with the wind. Yeah, he would go
1: with the wind. Uh, Yeah, Katie would just be like, oh, somebody handed me food, I would eat it. Mm -hmm. Jack would just take it. Julie feels bad about it. Alex would very much just kind of like, well, if you're going to take it anyway. Julie has to,
0: Julie's the one who has to do the moral compassing down. She has to justify Mm -hmm. her reasons for stealing it. Speaking of stealing, though, we also see them steal the Converter. Yeah, uh, but that's because they're saving the earth. So yes, it is a. But they're doing a bad
1: thing. But that's really they were t- okay. They had a. Qu- they were given a quest. Yes. They accepted that quest, and then they brought that quest to conclusion by uh, stealing and then ultimately smashing the converter.
0: Right, but it still is one of those things of let's let's tell our daughters they've got to go and they've got to take something mm-hmm. in order to do this one thing. We still spend most of our time as parents trying to tell her I do you spend most of your time as a parent cleaning up spit and changing diapers yep. but I spend a lot of time with my daughter you know explaining her the moral rights and wrongs and you know not to take things without asking or her. and here these kids yes it's to save the world and everything but they still are stealing a converter and I know it's something that goes forward That it's something they do feel bad about because mm-hmm. it's this big piece of equipment It's something that their father created. It's it's a lot of money, but it's still... There's a moral question that's there. Their first big mission after they get their powers is to go and steal something. Yeah. It's very much... Anti superhero.
1: Yeah, there's kind of that. There, there's that aspect too, where at no point do they ever even try and talk to anybody about it. Mm-mm. No, it's it, they they discuss talking about it, and they're just kind of like, it's like maybe we should tell Carmody, and they're like, Carmody's not going to believe us. We're kids. And yeah, then, you're right. And, and then that when, is the entire discussion on talking. And, about and it. then
0: also they overhear Carmody too, and that and when they hear what he's saying, they make a determination that yeah, no, this isn't going to work. Clearer and more adult. Minds might have come up with a better alternative mm-hmm. than doing what they did. No, but yeah, they're kids.
1: They're who's going to listen? They're them? using kids. Oh, uh, here's here's something I actually thought about. For you know, when they were talking about, oh, it's too big. Katie can't disintegrate it. Mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I was thinking about this, and I was like, okay, then how about Katie disintegrates some, unle- you know, fills up, shoots it with her energy bolt, disintegrates some, charges up, disintegrates it. Blast it with some disintegration bolts, disintegrate some, you know, and just do that stepwise thing.
0: I think I think we still would have gotten to the same part of, of how much time it's going to take. Uh, okay. It was a lot faster to go around in deep, 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 deep and hit all those and hit all those things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to just go through and yeah, do I... one one bolt at a time rather than what they would have to do with eh boom eh boom so yeah i
1: I, I could see that i I, i'm okay with that but it always just stuck in my head where it's like eat some then blow some up eat some then blow some up eat your pie eat your pie and then i guess throw your pie up onto the pie to make the pie worse and then eat that pie and And
0: now now it's just getting kind of disgusting i gotta tell you I, i wish that i had the alignment system here and it might be something that we do later on it'd be kind of fun to try to place the kids in the different alignments you know are they neutral Evil yeah. or something Chaos, like that. I was, yeah. I was kind of thinking about that at one point in time. It's something we might want to look at, but I think we've got a good, good idea about where the kids most line up. Um, Jack is, Jack is in the chaotic category. I think uh, it's,
1: uh, maybe, maybe not. I th- I've placed pretty much all of them right about in the neutral good. Uh, I, I think
0: he's, I think he's the Han Soloist
1: Oh so let's see, according to that gaming system rule, he's scrupulous.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Speaking of Jack, thinking about the four children in Lion Witch and Wardrobe, he is very Edmundish here. He's the one that's little neutral if not on the morals. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something else I want to talk about, really, too, is uh, Katie being called a monster. This is something that I know that comes up here. Talked a little bit last issue about the Katie. You know, she was called a monster by one of the Snarks, I think, and then she's called a monster here by Carmody.
1: No, she wasn't called a monster by the Snarks. It was a Whitey when he gave powers said that they might become mindless monsters. Sure, and then she was like, "Am I a monster, Alex?" And he's all like, "No."
0: It's it's interesting though, though, that she is the one that constantly being called a monster. She's the one who has probably the... Her and Jack have the most physical transforming powers, Mm -hmm. but Jack turns into a cloud, so it's kind of hard to call a cloud a monster. (laughs) (laughs) That that cloud killed my family. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, she changes into this crackling yellow thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She's a little kid, so she's got kind of a a very sensitive feeling about what is a monster and and what's reality anyways. She's getting called a monster by this villain. This stuff keeps on going on her. and, And what kind of damage does this do to a kid?
1: Yeah, constantly being called a thing. At what point do you then become the thing that you're called?
0: And and how much is this going to affect how how she grows and how she changes and how she accepts her power and how she actually does things? Just be very interesting to see yeah. how this moves forward. But it's I, I feel bad for her. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel bad for her. But uh, yeah, I think it's something that you feel bad for her. But I think she overcomes it really quickly, even in this issue,
0: because
1: mm-hmm. you know she's like, "You call me a monster. I'm not a monster. You're a monster. I'm a kid trying to do the right thing. Right. You're an adult." trying to do the wrong thing.
0: On the other side, we have Jack, who is doing nothing but questioning the use of his power.
1: He he always always questions it on the inside, though. On the outside, he's, you know, he's Mass Master. Come on. You know, he's the best thing in the world. He's Mass Master. he can't get better than that. he keeps
0: on failing, too. He just, he can't hold anything. All he can do is just turn into mist. Yeah. He does not have an offensive weapon, or offensive power, which is funny, because he is the most... Offensive child? Yeah, I didn't want to say offensive child. I wanted to say he's the most, uh outgoing or direct. Okay. He's the one who's most likely to get into a fight and he's the one that actually can't. Yeah. Whereas Katie, she is nothing but a destructive force and she's probably the sweetest of the of the four children. Mm-hmm. But also he doesn't have that scientific mind either. I think you know, I, I will give Alex credit on this. He's got more of the scientific mind, he's the one who actually thinks about those kinds of things and and tries to come up with, you know, more of the, how can I use this power, what can I do with this, Mm -hmm. how can I look at physics, and how can I do this piece, but I think that that's part of it too. He just goes from the gut, so it's lack of creativity maybe.
1: Yeah, and it's that aspect too, where he's kind of like, oh, what do my powers do? I turn into a big cloud, okay, and I get used to obscure vision, so.
0: Yay!
1: Hey. I'm foggy. I'm foggy. Hey, what do you do? Well, I fog up the joint. Oh, that's great.
0: <laughs> I, he also has the superpower of being a curmudgeon.
1: Yeah, forget, yeah. Can't forget yeah what am I going to do? i just <laughs> turn into a big old cloud. I'm going to ruin this wedding by obliterating the sun.
0: Then we have our leaders of the group, which I think we can say that our leaders are Alex and Julie.
1: Yeah, well, they're also both the, the two oldest Those two kids. two oldest ones. Yeah.
0: And you have two different styles of leadership, but I think you have the d- dictator, do what I say mm-hmm. of Alex. Well, and he's then, the oldest kid, so sure. you better do what he says. But then you have Julie, which uses the more open, asking approach, which I think works better.
1: Uh, yeah. The... I think...
0: Especially dealing with Katie.
1: Dealing with, oh, dealing with Katie especially. Yes. Yeah, you have to kind of have that soft touch yeah, with Katie. And it's not like, oh, Alex says this and then throws out scientific reasons why. That's not going to work. No. yeah.
0: No. Yes, the two oldest kids, but I just, I, I like Julie's approach to just doing leadership her style, I mm-hmm. guess is what I want to say. I got two other themes, and I think these are themes that I'm going to try to move forward every issue where It's applicable. The first one is something I'm going to do, and that's breaking out my library card, finding the literature in the comic book. It was brought to my attention that during the first episode, I failed to call out another literary reference in that episode, and I should have. And I'll bring it up here because we do talk about Friday a lot in this one, at least in the beginning. So Friday is named after Friday in Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. While it may be a little uncomfortable calling in ties to the cultural imperialism and the master-servant relationship, there are some very obvious similarities. Whitey, in the first issue, is akin to Crusoe. He left home to adventure. He's more of the intellectual than a fighter. That is until he's called out to use those skills, and then, you know, in in Robinson Crusoe, he, he... Tends to overcome the, those obstacles when he's on the island, and learn how to use those skills and improve upon them. In the book, Whitey is actually put into a situation where he has to fight, and he handles himself pretty well. You know, he does get mortally wounded, but it's one guy against a battalion of snarks.
1: Yeah, well, he, he even <laughs> says he's just like, oh, I, well, I'm a scientist. Sure, I'm not a warrior. Right. But he's yeah, he still holds his own fairly well.
0: Right. The big thing is that. Friday. He he names his assistant Friday and teaches him about culture. Both of these Fridays are assistants. They, they both um, help to serve their, I hate to say it, master. They provide introspective to them. They provide kind of a whiteboard for the teacher to put their teachings on, to kind of ascribe um, everything that they want to about the culture that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting how how the parallels kind of work there. Uh, do you have any Do you have any thoughts on that at all, from Robin Scorso, from your memories of the book?
1: Oh my gosh, it has been so flipping long that I've read that. When we were talking about it, I was actually confusing it with something entirely different, and then I had to kind of research it. And I'm like, oh, I have no idea about this at all.
0: Well, I, I didn't have as much time to go through and reread the book. I know that the next comic we're going to get to. There's a book that's referenced that I actually spent the time and read that book. I have a lot more to say about that one, but there is some definite parallels here. And and there's a lot in these comics that have allusions to literary references, like I mentioned last episode, especially with what Louie Simonson and what she brings to the book. I want to pass it off to you, Mr. Dr. Cowboy. All righty. And I want to talk about the science corner where Mr. Cowboy Science explains stuff take it away sir okay well
1: let's start with uh, jack smothering the fire now what happens is you know jack is like okay i got to put out a fire how can i do this i'm a cloud what happens if i get denser that ought to smother the fire but it gets dense to the point where he can start feeling things again that and he turns human boom he's in the fire because he's freaked out because he's falling and he's burning is he sublimates he immediately goes from a solid poof into a gas which you know is kind of cool, and you know and he's like, oh, that blew out the fire somehow. I'm not exactly sure how. He talks to Alex about it. Alex goes, oh, your molecules must have left so fast that it created a vacuum where you were putting the fire out, because in a vacuum there's no air, and uh, you know that put that smothered the fire. I'm like that is an option. However, if he created a vacuum, there would have also been like stuff coming back, making a nice, you know, a nice clap. Mm-hmm kind of sound. So I don't think it's so much of him making a, a vacuum. I think it's more along the lines is that he was in a small area, he was dense, boom. He blew his molecules out and that just kind of you know just blew everything out of the way. It's kind of like steam. You can use steam to put out fires. <laughs> it's also kind of the concept of there's the, this really cool thing. It's called an elide fire extinguisher ball and it's about the size of like a volleyball. It's safe to hold and everything but as soon as it like comes in contact with high temperature, it explodes into fire retardant chemicals. So cool. it, it, I saw it kind of along the same lines. It goes from a solid Solid, poof into this thing that puts out a fire so it's basically just jack became a matter that moved fast enough to just knock the fire out and it was a grass fire and those can honestly get put out pretty easy i remember having to put out more than one of those as a kid
0: <laughs> yeah
1: because you know uh kids matches fireworks field, yeah field next door fire stomp stomp so
0: gasoline and grass and fire oh, sometimes like
1: it. it was a way to take care of an anthill
0: and sometimes it's a nice way to sign your name and in a lawn too.
1: Sometimes it's just fun to play with kids. Don't play with Go gasoline. Play, don't, and no, fire. don't play with fire. That's no, bad. Bad, bad. Learn from our fun childhoods. Don't uh, do that. Interesting question. Talk to me about light speed. Oh, light speed is uh, awesome. Now she talks about her powers and she says, you know, oh I fly really fast, people can barely see me. You know, is that you know that like I like light speed. I fly name myself after the mm. speed that I might travel at. Don't know if she actually travels at light speed. She just travels fast. What's fun on that though is you know the big rainbow that she leaves behind her. Yeah. I know that Rick had posited this question of, uh, so here's kind of the interesting thing. She can hover as well and the rainbow goes away. So what happens to the rainbow that's behind her? I'm kind of thinking the rainbow just indicates thrust. Okay. So she's going forward. But you'll notice in a lot, not a lot, just that because she's only hovering for a handful of times. Mm-hmm. She, she gains like this yellow nimbus around her body. So it's kind of the rainbow around her just kind of forms into you know an aura about her giving her it's like okay I'm hovering I'm not moving so no propulsion's being used. Okay. Also when she's flying and she has the rainbow behind her she'll have this nimbus around her head. Sometimes. So I kind of see the Nimbus when she's flying is like a force field in front of her, so she's not getting smacked by bugs and stuff. But what we also have to talk about is how long her rainbow lasts, because she flies and she leaves a rainbow behind her. Now, I have a couple of concepts on this. And uh, one is that her rainbow lasts four minutes and 13 seconds. Okay. Do you want to know why? Please. Because Julie, when she's flying, is a rainbow in the dark. That's right. Four minutes, 13 seconds. Ronnie James Dio, rainbow in the dark. That's how long her aura lasts.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> my other... Con- canon. Canon. So four, four minutes, 13 seconds is canon. Uh, my other concept is, is that her uh, rainbow trail lasts for a panel.
0: The, a panel is a very distinct distinct set of time. There, yes, right? Yeah, it,
1: it's, uh, it's as long or as short as you need it to be. That's how long it lasts. It's-
0: I just I just personally don't think it's a very stealthy power. It's inconsistent and it's, and it's not a stealthy power. It looks Fabulous! Yeah, oh, and it glows
1: at night, and it leaves sure. a trail behind you. Yeah, everybody will be. You know what would be great is if it didn't go away ever, or it lasted for like a really long time. Like it was, yeah. you know, It's like oh, it's Spider-Man's webs. They last about two hours, and then it would just be this just ribbons of light everywhere. And if anybody wanted to determine, you know, it's like oh, I wonder who <laughs> light speed is. I guess I'll just follow the giant rainbow trail to her <laughs> home. To her home, and it. Oh, I guess she flew out the window, and, and
0: I just, <laughs> I just see, I see poor kids. Like on the streets down below her, as you know, like this rainbow just collapses on them. Oh "Oh my god! Help me! I can't can't breathe. (laughs) It just didn't dissipate, like
1: or fade away. It just became this solid, like glop. It just, it just fell from the sky like silly string.
0: Lightspeed, you have killed
1: so many people, (laughs) (laughs) but
0: I had to go to go save the earth. uh, These comics just got really dark. Oh, they got super super dark. dark. Alright, I'm done with science. Let's get out of the classroom and let's go on to something else funny.
1: Okay, so we're finished up with science, but I have another just a throwaway theme that I wanted to add in this week. Oh, please. Okay, and that is, uh, what what was one of the guards' nights like? tonight, because I think it would be just a crazy night for a guard, because normally it's like, hey, we're at this building, and okay, we're,
0: look, we're at Carmody's Converter, Krusty Carmody's Converter's.
1: All right. So, yeah, so we're at Carmody's place, and he's got the military guards there, and they're doing their thing, and, hut, they, hut, 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 hut. and they just march around, and they got the night shift, night shift sucks, if anybody's worked it before, I mm-hmm. think you know. They've got alarms on every building, and they even talk about how they're like, oh, I bet a pigeon landed on the roof again, but we gotta go check it out. Okay, so you get this garbage. You know,
0: you, you've got a pigeon on the roof again. Ha 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 ha. Go over there, 55.
1: Yeah, all right, fine. We'll stomp up the seven floors up to the roof and let's go see it. And so they're just bored, they're tired. And they're like, we gotta go check another false alarm. Okay, fine. Get up there. All right, let's go see if there's a pigeon. Ow! Something said oof and knocked me on my butt, and it's really foggy up here. What? My walkie talkie's gone and the door's locked. That's crazy. Maybe there's a ghost. Okay, well let's get back in the building. Go down. Well, the only if there's anybody here, maybe it's in this building. Nope, but a window's open. Oh great! Now we got to go over to the converter house. Okay, that's all the way across the camp compound. Fine, we'll march our way over there. All right, we'll go there. Hey, there's kids in here. Kill the kids! I'm not gonna kill these kids. Are you crazy? Well,
0: do something to them. Okay, I guess we can. I don't know. What clouds are back? A rainbow stole my gun. Okay. I got a couple things I gotta point out because I think you're right on this. I think you're onto something. A couple things jumped in my mind. One dude lost his radio. Yeah. Carmen is a cheap skate. He made the guards pay for the radios.
1: Oh, okay. That would suck.
0: Okay. Yeah. And you just said something else. Julie stole their guns. Great. Now I'm out of radio. And the cost of a gun. Yeah. And you bet that's coming out of my paycheck. Oh, of course it is. And he's got all these forms to fill it and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah.
1: And then he sees, you know, the converters flying away. And <laughs> everybody's all, call the Air Force. And he's like, I'm not calling yeah. the Air Force. <laughs> Shoot at them. And they're out of range. Besides, a rainbow stole my gun. What am I going to be able to do about it? It's just like, this is just the weirdest night in the life of this guard. Where it's just like, he's going to go home in the morning. And he sees his wife. And his wife is waking up and getting ready, making some coffee and getting ready to go work. Hi,
0: Stan. How was your night?
1: Oh, honey, it was weird. It was so weird. There was, there was a lot of clouds, and there was a ghost, and a rainbow stole my gun, and my boss wanted me to shoot a, shoot some kids.
0: Stan, did you go drinking again at the nudie bar last night after you got off your shift?
1: Stan, I told you not to do that! No, honey, I swear to you, I haven't touched a drop. I'm Get crazy. out of here! Get
0: out! I'm tired of your drinking ways!
1: <laughs> you see, and then his life just got worse <laughs> when he goes much. home, because yeah. who's going to believe this? No, I right. don't believe him. No. Yeah. Oh,
0: he's been drinking again. Yeah, uh, uh, Poor Stan. Mm.
1: Stan is troubled. Stan is trouble.
0: All right. Enough of this. Let's get on to some final thoughts here, my friend. Mm-hmm. Refrigerator gallery. What piece of art in the book needs to be on the family refrigerator?
1: Oh, man. I was torn on this. I what do you got? I was really torn on this, but I'm going to go with my first pick. And that is on page one. You got the splash sheet of all the kids, but just Katie charged up tantruming Shooting off fireballs is just uh, amazing.
0: It, it is a beautiful, beautiful shot.
1: Yeah, it is really, really great. I absolutely love
0: that. I, I have two backup ones myself. Oh, did,
1: did you? Was that uh, your hang, well? hang
0: on, oh, okay, hang on. Okay, 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 okay. Page 16. I've got something called The Star Trek Doors. Oh. <laughs> I find it absolutely hilarious. I mean, you got Jack and Julie leaning up against these doors. We're gonna hold these doors open. We're gonna hold these doors open, and then swish, and they fall on their butts. I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's a classic, classic pratfall.
1: I also love the fact they're like, think heavy thoughts, think heavy thoughts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's it. it fail fail, fail. Um <laughs> yeah. uh, The other one is on the next page, which I call Fast Julie. The, the two panels where she's going around and stealing, and, and she still stands gun, comes back around and bashes into them with her eyes covered. I, it's just a couple of very cool, cool panels, and I just I get a kick out of it. But yes, my number one was also what I call Temper Tantrum," hey. Because yes, that one is a beautiful one. Yeah. And we will put that up on our webpage. It is, it is just, it is
1: glorious. My backup one, uh, which which I was really torn on is a, a Jack photo when he's stealing the sandwich and the glass of milk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just he's a cl- you know, he's like, and he's just a cloud and the food just falls to the floor and crashes. Okay. I'm like, that's pretty amazing. If that's fair. I'm like, that's pretty great. That is hilarious to me.
0: Rubber and glue moment. What was the best? or most childish insult. What do you got?
1: My favorite rubber glue moment is on page 11, mm-hmm. and it is Jack. Because uh, they've just, like, uh, you know, the guards are coming into the room they're in, they flew out the window, Jack's fogged up, and they're hiding from the guards, and the guards are looking out, and they're like, man, why is this window open? Boy, it sure is foggy. Okay, nobody's out here. And Jack, whispering to himself, like the, like the megalomanical maniac that he is, whispers to himself, he goes, Stupid guard, foiled again by the great mass master.
0: <laughs> I like that one. It's, he's using his superpower name <laughs> and everything. and he's, It it's is just—it is good. i got to give you big props for that. My favorite was on page 23, the last one. It's Katie calling Jack Bonzo Breath. <laughs> I am not sure what that means, but I like it. <laughs> it's 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 on the very, very last page And um, uh, her comment is There's always a first time bonzo breath I'm starved I've been starved all night <laughs> It's not a bozo It's a bonzo
1: <laughs> That's pretty great too
0: Alright Stars in detention Identify the child who was the best And the worst in this issue
1: Oh, that is uh, yeah, Okay uh, Jack was my best kid Jack really? was my star pupil Jack yeah.
0: was your star pupil?
1: Yeah, he... Uh, he was using his powers great uh, he blocked a bunch of stuff he opened up doors he you know he, he was doing stuff really pretty well okay alright He it, there weren't any mistakes that Jack made Jack Jack was highly useful and the big part was is when they're in the hallway and the guards are gonna come down and he missed through and opens up the door from behind I'm like yeah that was that was one of the key moments right there because otherwise guards would have seen him and I don't know what would have happened what would have happened to Stan <laughs> if he had seen these kids in their weird little uh, bedtime clothes and their silver booties
0: well, I, I think Stan would have freaked out and probably shot him.
1: Oh my god! And then, and then, and then all then, that blood would be on his hands. Yeah, then and he'd, he'd have therapy, lost the house. Oh my god! His yep. wife would eventually leave him just because she's like, "You killed
0: children." Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: Just bad terrible. choices. Bad yeah, choices. Bad, bad life choices on Stan part.
0: Yeah. My best was Julie. Okay. Julie, she takes out the guards in a most excellent way. Mm-hmm. She's the one to get the team to try and destroy the converter. She encourages Alex and Katie. She saves Katie twice, and she steals the candy bars. Yeah, okay. I think that was a pretty darn good night for yeah, Katie. Yeah, that was or for good. for, uh, for uh, Julie. That's
1: a, You that's know, I, a... I actually even went back to that uh, panel where mm. she grabs up Katie and smacks into Carmody. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, did they, is there an Easter egg in there? Do they show her, her like kind of like hand in a pocket or stealing any food? Nope. Nope. She grabs Katie. That's how fast she is. Yep. You can't even see her yep. s- stuffing food. She, she
0: is that
1: good. Oh, what's also cool on that is, the, yeah, on the last page... Page twenty three. It shows Katie, uh, not Katie, Julie reaching into her pocket in her suit to pull out the
0: uh, candy bars. She found the pockets. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll go ahead and tell you who my worst one was. First, it's Jack. (laughs) <laughs> oh really i per i personally thought jack was the worst he fails at remembering he cannot hold things when he's a cloud but he it is- made me laugh so it was awful, I- yeah. he is questioning his usefulness throughout the entire book mm-hmm. he's a major downer he does not really bring a lot to help the issue yes you know the one time that he opens the door he causes his siblings to fall down and they're trying to be quiet and sneaky okay also me I, mean, it just, I mean it just it just it just i mean, yes it's good for a laugh mm-hmm. but it's like hey Thud! No, you're supposed to like, guys. I'm gonna go in and open it. Don't lean on the door for a second. You know, work as a team member, Jack.
1: But, but that was a very Jack thing to do. So.
0: I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with it. No. I just think that on a whole, I thought that he was horrible. This. this issue. Okay, that's All my right. my opinion. But who's your worst?
1: Uh, my worst is Julie. This is hilarious. Yeah. My worst is Julie. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, apparently we read each other's notes in a mirror. Yeah, uh, for me, it was just... uh, Okay, she stole some candy, she saved Katie, yeah, but she didn't do lots of stuff. So it was everybody... She took the guns, she knocked out guards. Uh, Nobody could see because Jack... Nobody's gonna shoot. Jack had it all clouded up. She took the guns
0: and knocked out the guards. She saved her... She saved Katie twice. I'm not seeing it, alright? Not seeing it. (laughs)
1: Not seeing it at all. We,
0: we, We will have to Uh, agree to disagree as long as you realize that you're wrong and I'm right. Okay, I can understand that you're wrong and I'm right. Tell me about the G-Force, man.
1: Oh, it's G-Force time. Okay, so what we got on that is how many G's did we pull this issue? Yep. And that is two. Two G's. Two G's. We got, uh, you know, we were talking about in the first issue where we kicked out a a Kraken 8 G's and now we got two G's and it's like, okay, we're probably it's probably gonna keep on winding down yeah, that way maybe yeah but it might pop up but sure. what we got is uh they pulled alex pulled two g's and that is approaching the top speed of a gravitron okay which is one of those like spaceship or starship 2000 3000 you know it's padded walls they're kind of on rollers mm. and mm-hmm. you get pinned to it and those get up to about two and a half g's okay at, right. at their pinnacle so approaching their top spin is 2g so they're on a they're on an amusement park ride right there. what
0: about Total G's so oh,
1: far. Total, total G's for it. Uh, we have you know, averaging with the eight before and two this time. Ten divided by two, we got five G's. Okay, and five G's is what you pull if you're on a luge going down uh, a course. Huh. A luge is a. As we know, we just had the Winter Olympics, so I'm sure everybody was glued to the luge section of this uh, program.
0: I, I I couldn't get past curling.
1: Oh uh, yeah, there was a lot going on in I, curling I, this year.
0: I loved curling. Anyways, i got a friend that curls. Mr. T was tweeting about curling. Really? Yes. All right. He's a curling fanatic.
1: Well, if you got to be a fan of anything, be a fan of curling. And Mr. T. And Mr. T, <laughs> who is a fan of curling. When but yeah, went. so, uh, oh, in, in case you don't know what a luge is, uh, it is, uh, you're kind of on like, you know, like a kid's sled. But smaller and more sharp, and you're wearing your unitard and a helmet, and then you just go down an ice course and you try and go fast, and that Uh, feet first, yeah, feet first, and you steer with your thighs, kind of pushing. You know, that's how you steer the little sled limbs around. But yeah, so so,
0: what about ten? Because we got a total of ten Gs. How much is ten Gs? Oh well, this is an average. Oh, if we're doing, if okay, well, if we're gonna do a total,
1: uh, ten Gs is the maximum permitted G force on a mig-35 so a Russian fighter plane
0: so so I'm gonna go ahead and say that um, personally for me in my mind Alex is a communist oh wow yeah strong words strong words. <laughs> <laughs> One, uh, a couple more things here. Top grades. We want to evaluate each issue against the rest of the series. We had an easy time doing this last time because we only had one issue. So mm-hmm. that was t- number one. Yep. The nice thing about being in an interview process, if you're the first person to interview, you're always the first choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: At least once. Yep. <laughs> so, now that we have two issues... How do you think that this ranks against the first issue?
1: Oh, how would issue two rank against issue number one? Well, I'm going to put it in second place to the first place issue. I
0: agree. I agree. I I think that this is definitely below the first one. There's a lot of repeating exposition. This is kind of a filler. It's a bridge story between an arc. I I know that this arc goes on at least for the first five issues, Mm -hmm. really. So this is just a bridge that's going on. It's getting us to the next part. I know that we're probably going to get out of the order soon. I just think that this is not quite as good as the first one, which is fine. I want to rank them as we go through just to see where they all fit. But I think we agree on that one.
1: Yeah, yep, 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 yep.
0: Beer scores. Let's talk about this beer that we've been drinking all this wonderful podcast, this uh, Belching Beaver peanut butter milk stout. Uh, Before we do, though, I want you to think back to our first episode because I want to start doing this as well. Think back to what we had last time, which was Baby Horse, Mm -hmm. and give me out of five power balls would you give baby horse baby horse
1: uh, I put it around a three it mm-hmm. was um, had a nice color it was drinkable it was tasty it was uh, you know it kind of in my fine it's fine category it was, it wasn't bad I didn't okay. dislike it I, uh, I enjoyed drinking it it's not one that I would hunt down all the time
0: I I, I think I would probably do about I think I'd do a three and a half I, I I think I enjoyed it I think I'm kind of the same thing it's it's fine I would say three and a half power balls for myself I really, there was a nice yeasty flavor, which I always like in those Belgian beers that I, mm-hmm. I just really enjoy a lot. That out of the way, let's talk about this Belching Beaver Peanut Butter Milk Stout what do you think of this?
1: Uh, it's tasty. Just uh, cracking it open and just, just you know, putting the you know putting the old snout to the old snoot, uh, giving it a sniff. Just oh, it, it smells good, and I just keep on kind of picking it what up. What does it smell like? It smells like a Nutty Buddy bar. Nutty Buddy bar. Yeah, yeah. It it smells kind of like a peanut butter cookie. It smells really good.
0: Yes, I, I can concur with that. It's a very dark. Yeah, very dark. Oh beer. my,
1: yeah, that is. That's uh, how I like my stouts. It is pitch black. I,
0: I've seen darker. I mean, if I if I squint, and I got some good light there. I might I might see you through that. But yeah. I mean, it, it's a dark, dark beer. I like my I like my, uh, my stouts and porters like that. Mm-hmm. It does have a very nice nose to it. It's got a very good smell. Uh, as far as the taste go, it's got that mouth filling peanut butter taste. It just kind of one sip, your entire mouth feels full. Yeah, which is. Again, a nice feeling of a stout. I, I say that this is probably one of the better peanut butter, easy-to-get peanut butter beers here. I have some that are higher on my favorite list than this mm-hmm. one, and I, I judge these pretty harshly. Okay. <laughs> but how many Powerballs would you give oh, uh, the uh, peanut butter milk stout? It is pretty tasty. Ooh.
1: Four, four and a half?
0: Four or four and a half? Which one, which one are you going to go with? Okay, let's see. And I take a sip. Yeah, that's a good four and a half. That's All right. That's... I, I'm going to go the other side. I'm going to say this is a four. Once okay. again, I am judging on a big curve, and yeah. I just have I have heart palpitations when I think of my fives okay. of, yeah. of my of my other two favorites. But this is this is definitely one of the better ones that I have had. It is so. tasty.
1: Like I said, that has that has a great nose to yes. it. It really does, and it it, it it does have a nice sweet flavor. It has micro bitter flavor, kind of tail end Mm mm-hmm but uh yeah it it tastes good i would highly recommend it
0: last thing we have of course is our kids perspective this is where we ask a question or premise of the book to my seven-year-old daughter and get her opinion of the book take it away carrie and rick hey carrie can you tell me what you thought of the second issue of power pack
2: well it was great why is that even though they missed their parents it was besides that it was pretty good
0: what do you mean by they missed their parents
2: they're not near their parents at all.
0: So tell me what happened in the comic book.
2: I remember that their dad had those papers, and they were trying to give it to Mr. Carmody, but he was actually really a villain.
0: Why was he the villain?
2: Well, he was evil. He, he just wanted to have his weapon so he could kill people. So I do call him a villain. He actually sounds more, than a, more evil than a bill- villain.
0: How did Power Pack stop them?
2: They surrounded him with fuck, and and they all worked together as a team. And, of course, Julie, she got some snacks for <laughs> candy bars.
0: And where did she get that candy bar?
2: His, um, Mr. Carmody's pocket.
0: Did she steal them?
2: Yes. Well, he was evil, so it was pretty fine to steal him. Um,
0: Thank you very I'm... much, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you. love you, too. Jeff and Rick Present is recording in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the Internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present. A uh,
1: special thanks to Rick for putting all this together. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much. I
1: do appreciate this. This is a great experience for us to be doing. It's a lot of fun. But I would also like to thank all the people who listened to our first episode and provided feedback to us. Prior to sending it out, we asked a select group of people that we knew to listen to the episode and tell us what they thought. This helped us decide if we should continue on, if the episode was good as it was recorded, and what we needed to change or improve on. This list includes TJ, Eric, Debbie, Hub, David, and our families.
0: And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our life. To my wife Cindy and our daughter Carrie.
1: And my fiancee Hillary and our daughter Aurora. Thank you, and we love you. Until next week.
0: Our theme music is 80's action by Kevin McLeod at compotech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by attribution 3.0 license. I got the power! I had the power! Dun, 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 dun!